We're going to look at the prophet Zechariah today. Zechariah brings a message of hope in a time when hope was in short supply. Kind of like the flu medicine and pain medicine uh, in the stores right now. People were looking for hope, couldn't find it. Now, now let me, let me tell you why and let just, let's just place Zechariah within its, its time setting. So in the year 586 before Christ, uh, the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and they conquered Jerusalem, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple and took God's people away into Babylonian exile uh, for about 50 years. We're back in Jerusalem with Zechariah. Uh, he prophesied around 520 BC, so they just come back from exile. By now, some of the groups that came back had already fixed the wall, so the wall was built again around Jerusalem. And the temple was, was rebuilt, not completely, and it wasn't even close to the previous glory that the temple had. And if you walked around and you asked people how they felt, they would say that they were desperate. They, they, when you asked them about the future, they said they were uncertain about the future. They doubted that they had a good future in there. This is what we find. Hope in short supply. Now, Zechariah, on the other hand, he sees this time as a pivotal moment. He sees this as a moment of positive change, of positive hope for a brand new future. But, but, says Zechariah, the hope for that future, the, the hope that comes with that future uh, is not just because of circumstances outward circumstances that will change, but the hope for that future is because of who God is and what God was able to do. And maybe it reminds us of the most well-known verse in in Zechariah. Can anyone tell me what that is? What's the most well-known verse in Zechariah? Chapter 4, verse 6. There's a Tim Hortons on the line for that. No one? I'll keep my Timmies in my pocket then. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You all know that. Chapter 4, verse 6. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. The change, the hope for the future will come because God is the one who will do that. And that's where I want to take you in chapter 8 of Zechariah today, just the first eight verses, where Zechariah speaks about future and about the promise that God makes and how this promise will look like this promise of peace and prosperity. So let's go to Zechariah chapter 8. We're going to read the first eight verses. I'll do them two by two by two uh, when, when we read this morning. And, and I want you to notice four things uh, as we go through this. The first thing that, that, I, that I want you to notice is that God says, I care passionately about my people. So, 
And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then another message came to me from the Lord of Heaven's armies. It's an interesting translation. We struggle with that Hebrew word. We don't know how to translate Sabaot. Then another message came to me from the Lord of Heaven's armies. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. My love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong, and I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. The message says, I am zealous for Zion. I care. I'm angry about Zion. I am involved. God says, I care passionately about my people. Do we understand that? Or maybe I should ask the question, do we believe that? Do you believe that God cares passionately about you, your life, my life, my circumstances, my future, that God says, I know who you are, Aubrey. I know your dreams. I know your fears. I know your struggles. I know your circumstances. And guess what, buddy? I care about you passionately. I'm involved in your life. And I want to be involved in your life. Yes, but Lord, what about all this stuff? Where are you when I feel that I'm kind of all alone? Where are you when I feel like the wheels are coming off? Where are you when I think I can't do this? I'm there, Aubrey. I care passionately about you. But here's the thing. If I say, yes, I believe that, then this is what needs to happen. Then I also need to say, well, Lord, sometimes it feels like I look at the future and I have no hope and my shelves are empty like the shelves in shoppers. But I'm going to put myself in your hand completely. I'm going to commit myself to you and it's going to be a total commitment. Because here's what we often do, right? So I'll take care of the things that I think I can take care of. And I'll do that. And then I'll say, Lord, there's a few leftovers out there. And I can't handle those leftovers. Will you handle the leftovers? No. If I want God to care passionately for me and take care of my life, I have to take my life and say, there it is, Lord. The good, the bad, the ugly. It's all yours. Will you care for me? And take care of me. Just let me take you back to the, the passage for a second and, and explain this. So it says, I care about Jerusalem. I care about Zion. Now, remember what they believed. Their theology was built around this, and it kind of came crashing down, and I'll, and I'll get back to that in a little bit. They believed that Zion, that was the mountain on which the temple was built. That's where the temple was. God lived in the temple. That was the throne room of God. And Jerusalem was the city of God. So when Zechariah, when the Bible speaks, Old Testament, of Jerusalem and Zion, he speaks of there where God is the king, where God's kingdom is being seen in all of its glory. So God says, when I look at you, when I look at your life, you're my kingdom. 
And I care passionately about that kingdom. But, but, now let's take that to the New Testament. Because remember what I said. We'll sometimes say, I'll take care of this. There's the leftovers. It's yours. And then I wonder whether God cares for me passionately. What does the New Testament say? Young rabbi, about 30 AD, stands on a mountain and he says, So why are you concerned about eat and drink and the clothes you wear? Look at the flowers. Are they not even more beautiful than Solomon in all of his glory? Look at the birds of the fields. They don't sow and they don't reap. And yet your Father in heaven takes care of them. And then he says these words. So you then, first seek the kingdom of God. And then all of these other things will be given to you. I care passionately about you, says God. You're mine. You belong to my kingdom. Seek me. Seek my kingdom. And I will take care of you in my time, in my way. And how many of us have to say that? How many times have I doubted God because I wanted things done my way in my time? And he didn't. And then God showed up in his way, in his time, and he did a perfect job of that. Will we hear that today? As we look at our own lives, our own future? I care about you passionately. Can I be God of all? Because when I wrote this, I thought it's a little rude, but I'm going to say it. He's either God of all or he's not God at all. God doesn't want the leftovers because that's not how he works. God doesn't give leftovers. God gives it all. His son was not a leftover. He was his everything. There's a second thing I'd like you to notice. Let's go to verse 3. Now the Lord says, I'm returning to Mount Zion, and I will live in Jerusalem. And then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of the heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. God says, I'm going to change my address. Let me give you background for that, and then we'll come back to our own lives background comes from Ezekiel chapter 10 and 11. Now, I won't put a Tim Hortons out for this again to ask who knows what's in Ezekiel 10, because you all know what is in Ezekiel 10, and then it's going to cost me too much. Yeah, right. It's the one with the wheels and the cherubim. In Ezekiel 10, people of God had become so ungodly that God called the city the ungodly city. And in Ezekiel 10 and 11, we see this incredible sad moment when the Spirit of the Lord physically leaves the temple. And the glory of the Lord physically leaves Jerusalem and God moves out. And it's a desolate city and an unholy temple because that's how God's people had become. God says, I'm changing my address. 
by moving back into the neighborhood. And when God moves in, no one says, there goes the neighborhood, right? God says, I am changing my address. I'm coming back to Zion. I am coming back to Jerusalem. I'm moving back in. And when I move back in, everything changes and the status of everything changes. Did you see what it says there? Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. And the mountain of the Lord will be called the holy mountain from unfaithful to faithful. From unholy to holy, when God moves into our lives, everything changes. That's the promise. I care about you. I love you. And I want to move in. Will you just open your heart and allow me to move in? into your life, into your finances, into your future, into your circumstances, into your cares, into your every little bit of your life. Because the moment God moves in, the status changes. Remember what John said, John 1.14, message says it's beautiful. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. That's what happened. We know it. We celebrated that just a few weeks ago. We were singing about Jesus who came into this world. That was God's promise. I will change your future. I'm coming into your life through my son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus comes, it all changes. You can never be the same again. Can anyone say amen? Because we know that. We've seen that. Changes the way in which I speak. Changes the way in which I touch and love and care. Changes the way in which I listen and allow others to be loved as I am loved. I care for you, says God. Passionately. And because of that, I sent my son to change your status. From sinner to child, from lost to found, from drowning to saved. You're mine. You're precious. I love you. Will you hear that? He loves you, even when your cells are empty. Third thing. This is what the Lord, verse, uh, verse 4, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Once again, old men and women will walk Jerusalem's streets with their canes and will sit together in the city squares. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls at play. Zechariah paints a picture of God's kingdom that comes in us, but it's not measured in productivity because that's how we measure, right? Not measured in that. He measures with a different measure. He says, when God's kingdom comes in my life, two things happen. Peace and joy. And he uses the image of the old people and the young people. Look at it again. He says, when I come into your life, when I come into that, 
It'll be like in the days when there is peace in the city. And the old folks can take their walking sticks and their canes and they can walk in the streets. Because it's all beautiful and full of peace. And they'll sit in the city square and in the parks and they'll sit on the benches and they'll tell us the stories over and over and over of how good God has been in their lives and how he's taken care of them and they will have no care because that's what God's peace looks like when it comes into your life. Because the word peace in Hebrew, shalom, means that condition of perfect well-being. When God comes into my life, His kingdom comes with peace, well-being, being being taken care of. doesn't mean that I'm not going to struggle. It means that through my struggles, I know that he is there and his peace will overwhelm my heart. And I can walk and I can sit and I can tell the stories. But the second image is just as beautiful. It says, and there will be boys and girls that are playing in the streets. Like in Canada, really cool, we can do that. Our kids can play hockey in the street and they can play basketball 12 o'clock at night and drive me nuts. But you hear their laughter and you hear their joy because it's free. That's what happens when God's kingdom comes into my life. It brings a peace that goes beyond my comprehension. It brings a joy. I did not say happiness. Joy, there's a difference. Remember what Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious, but bring all of those fears and those struggles to the Lord. And then God's peace that goes beyond comprehension will take care of your lives and your hearts. And you will be able to rejoice in the Lord like little kids running in the street and playing with laughter. Why? Because my father cares about me. And my father has changed my status. And my father says, I will bring my peace and my joy into your life. Just give it to me and allow me to do that. Last thing. Verse 6. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. All this may seem impossible to you now, you small remnant of God's people. But, there's the biblical but. But is it impossible for me, says the Lord of Heaven's armies? Boy, we make a mistake when when we um, try and measure what God can do against what we can do. Because they looked around and said, oh my goodness, look at this little Jerusalem. Look at how it looks like. There's no hope for the future. God says, really? You think it's impossible? For me? For you, yes. Is it impossible for God? What is impossible for God? What is impossible for you? You tell me. God who could speak, and there was a, creation. God, who could look at me, and I'm messed up, and I'm lost. And God says, I care for you. Passionately, Aubrey. And God changed my life and brings his kingdom into my life. Nothing. So listen to those last lines. Verse 7, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. You can be sure that I 
will rescue my people from the east, from the west. I will bring them home again to live safely in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and just toward them as their God. Our hope for our future, for our lives, is not in this world and in the things of this world. Our hope is in the one who says, I, I, I. Because when all hope was gone and it was dark, a new star shined in the night, and a little baby was born. And God said, I am here. When this world was broken, a young rabbi walked this world. And he touched the blind and the lame, the sick and the broken. And what seemed impossible became possible because they were healed. And God said, I am here. I will change your status. And when the devil started jumping around in joy because the young rabbi was nailed to a cross, and he breathed a breath and said, it is done, and he died, and the devil was dancing his little reel, God said, I am here, and I will die for you. And three days later, God opened the grave and God walked out and said, I have changed your status forever. For death is conquered. For sin is conquered. For the world is conquered. And I am the king. And I love you passionately. May God walk with you every day and give you that hope. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for coming into our world, our lives, making that part of your kingdom. Thank you for changing our status forever through Jesus Christ, our Lord, your Son. Thank you for reminding us every day that you call us child, for we have become your children through Jesus. More than that, heirs, says Paul, of all that Jesus had come for. Yes, we will have part of the suffering, but also in our inheritance, being part of your kingdom, being your children. Thank you that through your Holy Spirit we may call to you Abba, Father, loving Father. For you care, and you care compassionately and passionately. Thank you that we may place our times, our future, our moments in your hands and know that they are safe. Thank you that you are our Lord, 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.